fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. Who does that? We do. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, the physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. It's great to be here, Dan. I'm so excited that we're finally doing Zelda. As you may know, I started Zelda Twilight, Twilight Princess many, many years ago. I clearly can't finish it because I can't say the name. More importantly, <laughs> I can't walk in a straight line. So I've spent about three years in lava. So maybe, maybe our episode today will solve my problems. Well, <laughs> spending a lifetime in lava is what it sounds like. Uh, that's the worst, Dennett. I've been there before. Uh, I'm in I'm in one level of Donkey Kong country for the Wii that I still can't get through. So like you, I've got a lifelong goal of finishing a game on the Wii. But I know a man who has finished every game on the Wii and has very different life goals. And that is our enigmatic engineer, Ben Seepser. Ben, where are you broadcasting from this week? And do you have any games that you have a lifelong achievement uh, trying to unlock? Uh well, Dan, I never did beat Turok to Dinosaur Hunter, or no, Turok to Seeds of Oblivion. That was what it was called. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, I was just incapable of figuring out how to navigate those maps. Uh, <laughs> they're way too repetitive. But thankfully, I'm not in Turok 2. I'm in this beautiful green valley, no lava in sight, and there's some scary magical creatures off in the distance. But I think they're going to be fun to interact with and find out what's going on out here. Um, ben, you may be underestimating things. There is a bit but, of lava <laughs> way behind you. So, you know, I get that yeah, it's not in sight you. yet, but be careful. <laughs> you know, I'm looking this way, not that way. There's <laughs> okay. no lava this way, Dan. Yeah. Dan Sounds good. What? Oh, no. Oh, no, wrong way. <laughs> it looks like we're in the middle of an eruption. I think I think you have until the end of the episode. But when we're done here, Ben, I want you to get out of there because it looks yeah. pretty dangerous. Uh, but you mentioned, so we're talking about the Legend of Zelda series. And, you know, one of the tricks here, guys, is you play a character, a prepubescent, a permanently prepubescent character named Link. He is not the titular character. The titular character is Princess Zelda, who we all know has all the magical powers. Right, Ben? That's right. Zelda is super magical, and she's the one who does all the cool uh, teleportation and stuff, as far as I can tell. I think, I think Link is really just a chosen one who's not really all that impressive. Well, you know, but, but, but there, is, there is moments where Link, I think, does become a little connected to the Triforce, which is really Zelda's core power. But you're right. right. It's all about Zelda. It's all about Princess Zelda. And, and I know for a fact from, from talking to my Zelda expert, um, Kimberly Denon, um, yes, a relation. Um, <laughs> normally people say no relation at that point, but, you know, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. this is a close yeah. relation. Um, yep. You know, I think the, the, the people who are dedicated to this franchise and have played every game like her someday hope to play as Princess Zelda. I think that's really the goal. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Oh, interesting. It's unfortunate that you can only play as Zelda in Smash Brothers, where <laughs> I guess it is fun that mm. you, you can finally take out your aggression of not getting to play the most powerful character in the story by beating up 
everybody else. <laughs> yeah, as a woman, you can smash the patriarchy <laughs> metaphorically and physically in that game. Uh, that's a really interesting, you know, th- that is almost as interesting as the original commercials for the original <laughs> Legend of Zelda, which is where I came into this. Now, you know, uh, I, I've dubbed myself, you know, I'm the master of film and television, but I'm also the master of video games. And when you look at video games, in my opinion, when you when you have these long series, sometimes it's the original first or you know first couple of, of video games that really set the tone. We saw that in Super Mario Brothers. We see that in The Legend of Zelda. So we're going to talk about that. And so we we have to talk about these these original commercials, guys. I made you watch them. I'm going to put them up on the website so that people can watch and follow along. But I want your first impressions of you know we've got some Zelda raps going on. We've got some strange uh, improvisational performance art. Yeah, so what, Dennis, what did you think when you saw this? Because I'm guessing this is the first time that you laid eyes on these. It actually is the first time I saw the commercials, and I'm not really sure why. Um, and I had two reactions. Um, one, why why did the person writing the commercial think a kid wearing a white button down and black glasses would sell the game? Um, but I guess they were going for the stereotype of the demographic. Um, yep. And two, I totally forgot that rap was big at the same time the game came out, um, which mm-hmm. shows that I have no sense of time, history, or anything when it comes to music. Um, those are my two initial reactions. <laughs> what about you, Ben? <laughs> well, for me, seeing the performance art, uh, interpretive dance, you know, that was just, that, that felt like a show you would see at a 30 seat theater. Like way, 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 way off Broadway. And I really appreciate it for that. You know, someone really stretched their art muscles to come up with that concept. And I have to give them credit for the boldness to put that on television. (laughs) I love that. So first of all, I cannot imagine no one has cosplayed as that guy uh, at a Comic-Con. That's surprising to me. And I also can't believe that someone hasn't expanded that into a 30 to 40 minute one man play or something, one person play. Uh, That's got to happen. If you're listening to this and you have a creative bone in your body, please, please do that. I'd love to come see it and promote it. Uh, what, What really struck me when I first, when I'm looking back at all this is I grew up in the legend, you know, world of Legend of Zelda. I played the crap out of this game. And I remember going to like a, a JCPenney or a Sears when they used to have the games. Like, I don't know if you guys remember this. They had the game sitting out long after uh, the game had, had come and gone. But they had, you know, in the back of like the toy section, they would have like a TV set up with a Nintendo Entertainment System. And I remember seeing the game and the game is nothing like those commercials. I as, Like you, Denon, I have no idea what those commercials are <laughs> are, are advertising for. I, I don't know what the game is. I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's really, really crazy. But I will tell you, when you, when you see that weird interpretive dance one, the thing that is kind of cool is he talks about all the creatures that Link has to take out, but also this strange world, the world of Hyrule that you have to kind of, you know, explore and walk around and, and you know, uh, and, and really kind of master. And that is what really is cool. I'm going to talk about the world first because it has a lot of hidden stuff. Uh, there's a lot of tricks in every single part of the game. There's all these kinds of little hidden secrets you've got to uncover. Uh, Denon, you're in the middle of playing it. Um, what did you think about this? 
Well, you know, I think one of the two things about that. One is it has hidden secrets you have to uncover, which is interesting. But I, I also love the fact that, as, as my um, expert says, the game gives you hints as to what you're supposed to do, mm-hmm. right? It's almost an ongoing tutorial, at least some of the games. And certainly Twilight Princess is playing that role, right? Like if mm-hmm. if you learn a certain skill like herding sheep, you you, you use that skill later on. Um, right. And so that deep connection between what you're learning and the tricks in the world is something that I find interesting and fascinating. Like how you it's a very intellectual game, Dan. Well, you have to just love a game that's all about learning and teaching and education. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the Zelda games are about Link learning new skills for both survival and puzzle solving and all this stuff. And it just goes to show you how important education and knowledge is in both life and in often in the Zelda case, saving the universe or at least the land of Hyrule. Yeah. Well, there's an institutional knowledge, right? Like there's a knowledge base of people who've played the game in the original Zelda. Once you get through it, you can play the game again. It's called the second quest. But what's crazy is everything's all jumbled up. Everything's all over the place. And you kind of have to rely on other people who have played it because it gets kind of crazy, especially with the hidden levels. But, you know, one of the things that that I think is really important here is this connection to the land. You, you guys mentioned it, is that Link has this very strong connection. One of the main themes through most of these games is your heart containers. What what is the strength of your body? How many hits can you take? And those increase with the number of boss uh, boss creatures you defeat. And also where you find special heart containers throughout the world. You know, you got to burn down some grass. You got to blow up, you know, uh, blow up mountains, uh, y- y- all kinds of stuff. And you, you can basically, you know, you can find money there. Uh, you know, y- you kind of wreck shop in a lot of ways. You get to destroy pots. And I think the, a link to the past and some of the other ones uh, there, there's a lot going on. You have to have a really a real both connection to the world, but also the freedom to kind of do whatever you want, because it seems to me that Link kind of runs roughshod all over this place. Well, I was definitely fascinated by the idea of cutting grass with my sword when I uh, first started playing the game, Dan, because it was about the only thing I could hit reliably Um, because the grass doesn't (laughs) move. You know, it's just there. Um, So it was this interesting twin sort of thing. I could practice which buttons to hit at the same time that I could occasionally be rewarded by getting either, you know, like you said, getting some hearts, getting some emeralds, some gems, some money. Um, And it was... You know, interesting to me under what conditions did the grass grow back? Did the stuff come back there and I get to do it again? Um, You know, did I have to die or was it just go far enough away and then come back and it was there? So there is this interesting interaction um, with that world around you that's very much tied to your behavior that I just I found fascinating. I I like what you're talking about, the grass coming back, Denon, because it's I wish our grass would come back as easily as that. I, you know, I think about here in California where, you know, the it's it's often very dry and we don't have green grass very often unless you're spending a lot of water on. It. So it'd be nice if the grass would just come back while you walked away, after you walked away. But the other thing that's really fascinating to me about this world is how is Link getting away with all this stuff? You know, he's smashing pots to get the rupees out of them. He's uh cutting down trees. He's causing brush fires in front of people. No one seems to care. I'm really wondering what is up here that uh, he can just kind of terrorize the landscape and no one cares. Like, why is that? (laughs) You know, you've really stumbled on something here because there's almost like a 
a strange Truman Show element to this, right? Because even when you're getting these heart containers and you're causing these brush fires, as you mentioned, that's very important, especially in the first legend, the first couple of Legend of Zelda's. And, you know, it's when you do that, there's a staircase going down and there's a man offering you a choice uh, between heart container or, or medicine. And, you know, that tells you that there's a lot of setup here. You know, it takes a long time to construct those underground, um, you know, hiding places, the staircase, uh, you know, the fact that he is able to just run around and people, you know, in shops, this is their livelihood, guys. They're trying, these people are trying to make a buck uh, selling their wares. And you got Link coming in, smashing up pots, what, to get a couple of rupees? And he takes it and, and he gets off. Uh, it takes off, I should say. Um, you know, this is, this is very strange. And I'm with you, Ben. There, there's something going on here, which to me uh, speaks to a high level uh, of pre-planning. Well, I think also, Dan, there's a sense, though, You, I liked your Truman Show analogy, but in a positive, less of a negative way. I think there's a sense in which these people realize this <laughs> yeah. is the, the, the eternal hero. They see Link, uh -huh. they recognize Link, and they're like, okay, we know there's a lot of stuff around. We can't get to it because we're not the hero. Um, if nobody gets to it, we're all going to die. Um and so I think you have you have a little more forgiveness for someone smashing a pot when you know they're actually going to save your life as opposed to right. random person smashing a pot. So I think right. there's a lot of knowledge as to who Link is or none of this makes sense. Yeah, I mean, they, they clearly must know who he is to allow this to go on. But even then, I mean, I feel like if I was a shopkeeper there, I'm like, this, this kid's supposedly the chosen one, but he sure is a jerk about it. Yeah. Uh, there are limits, right? There's got to be limits to your patience, uh, you know, as he's tearing up the place. The, now, now, as a minor correction, at least in Twilight Princess, sure. I've never okay. smashed a pot in a shop. It's random pots you find around that you're smashing. So, you know, I just want to be clear that, yes, I'm doing destructive damage to property, but it's yeah, property that's sure. been left out a lot like you pointed out, Dan, the old man in the tunnel. And, and that is what's sort of interesting is, how much existed in the world? How much was set up ahead of time in preparation for the hope that Link is coming? Like, was it an actual person running around putting a bunch of pots? And if you put a bunch of pots, why are you making some of them empty? Like, if you're here to help Link, so is it really helping Link? Or are you messing with Link by just putting a few of the pots with stuff? Yeah, I mean, there's a good Easter reference there, right? If you're going and hunting Easter eggs, you don't want to open up an Easter egg and have nothing in it. You want candy, you want Hershey's Kisses, you want, you know, jelly beans, right? Uh, but also the resources, Denon. I mean, you expect every single person in Hyrule to take their life savings and stick it in a pot so that some <laughs> jackass in, in 100 years can come by and smash it and take your life savings, your grandparents' life savings. It's got to be limits here, Denon. I get that. I get that, Dan. I'm with you on the limits. Okay. Well, so this made me think of two game shows, <laughs> which I'm going to talk <laughs> about here, which are Finders Keepers and Supermarket Sweep. Have you guys, are you guys familiar with those? Very familiar. Okay, perfect. So in, in Finders Keepers, you know, you get a clue. It's, it's actually a cool set. It's a gigantic house, and every house has a crazy theme, and you get a clue, and you got to find the item. you got to basically solve the, the, the riddle and then find the item uh, that is the solution to that to that riddle. Uh, but, you know, your job as there's a bunch of kids running around is to smash that house uh, and find, you know, that 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 puzzle, that puzzle answer. Uh, and, and Supermarket sweep, sweep is very similar, trying to get as much stuff as you can. This has, you know, uh, this 
reeks of Hyrule. I don't know if Hyrule inspired them. They came out at the same time. Um, but I feel like in some ways, then, and this is what you're talking about, it's a little more carefree uh, and not as, you know, uh, malicious as I'm making it out to be. Yeah, I, I think there there is that element of, of uh, positivity and fun to it. Um, because again, it's just pots out in the world. And you know what? Clay pot, clay pot, clay pots are probably yes. some of the easiest things for this technology and culture to make, given all the other stuff we're going to find out later about the amazing items. Well, I think by bringing up the game show, you bring up an interesting point that clearly it must be somebody's job to go out into the wild and put these pots around for Link to smash. And it's in some ways it's got to be a rough kind of thankless job <laughs> to be going around and putting all these things out that you know are going to get yeah. smashed but i hopefully they're at least well compensated to for doing that cuz it's it's a rough job you know you got you got to be go- tracking all the places link is trekking but on top of that you're carrying all these heavy pots around full of rupees that you got to make sure you're not spilling out right. so you know, good on that person for uh, making this world ready for Link. Well, you know, there is an interesting question here, though, um, Ben, that you just brought up, right? I mean, it's an interesting world, and I do wonder um, if if the pots were created as part of the creation of the world. Um, pots are basically just really hot dirt. As far as I can tell, there's a ton of lava. As I said, I've spent a lot of time in the lava. Um, so I wonder <laughs> if pots are a natural formation, Um and instead of going out and, 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 you know, bringing the pots around, you just have to go out and put the stuff in the pots. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's well, I think that's an interesting, you guys are kind of blowing my mind here. I didn't think about either the <laughs> thankless guy who's got to go make the pots and fill them or the guy, who, if even if he doesn't have to make them, he's still got to fill them with stuff. <laughs> I mean, that guy, uh, that guy's out there is what I'm saying uh, <laughs> either way. And, and you mentioned the wild and I think that's really important, Ben, because the other, you know, I mentioned this almost, uh, you know, this almost indigenous connection to the land, and that extends to the creatures of the world as well. You know, I mean, Glink clearly has some strange connection to Ganon, the main bad guy uh, in this world. Um, but, you know, the biology of these creatures is also very unique because a lot of them seem to have evolved both a strength to get at Link but also a weakness that as the through the aforementioned items, you know, they have to be defeated in a very specific way. Uh, this, I thought, was was particularly interesting, especially in the first couple, uh, you know, first couple uh, games in the series. Well, Dan, I think it's actually throughout the games. And, you know, we talk a lot in the show about biology and evolution and how you might get to different places. And it is an interesting feature. There's sort of a co-evolution here. Um, we, we've recently done an episode that people should watch on the balance of three, right? Mm-hmm. And this seems yep. to be a weird example of the balance of two, right? Where, where you're okay. developing right. and evolving, you know, these counter abilities where if you haven't really mastered as Link the correct weapon, the correct trick, the correct attack mode, um, you're in real trouble because the creatures are almost invulnerable um, mm-hmm. unless right. you know the trick. Um, yep. And I think that's a fascinating sort of co-evolutionary um, event that is, is, you know, it, one hand you can understand it because it means your only sort of weakness or enemy out there is Link and he's not around all the time. So it's not bad to evolve that weakness. It's not going to get weeded out by your other mm-hmm. enemies. But it right. is a little weird to end up with just this precise weakness. I, I think you raise an interesting point here, Den, that it seems like Link needs to learn these tricks or link learns the tricks to get at these enemies 
right before he faces them. There's some weird kind of sinister perhaps thing going on here where it's not necessarily an evolutionary thing. It seems more like a planned thing, an engineered thing that these creatures have weaknesses ready for Link's education at each step of his journey. Yeah, I mean, because there is a very strong connection to that. And in some ways, you know, I'm going to look at the first couple, um, the first couple games in the series, you know, in, in The Legend of Zelda, there are certain boss creatures that you cannot defeat without specific weapons at a specific time. Like, look at the Dodongo. You know, you're going to love this, Ben. It's a gigantic triceratops. Love it. Uh, and you have to feed him <laughs> feed him bombs to, to kill him. I bet you don't love that don't part. Love that. Right. <laughs> yeah, you don't love that part. <laughs> no, save the dinosaurs. Yeah, you got to. You know, they. It, but it's like a mini, it's like a mini asteroid explosion, these bombs. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you, you have to feed them. But if you end up in a room with a Dodongo in it and you don't have bombs... There's nothing you can do. You got to let it kill you so you can start the level over and go pick up some bombs. Uh, the Dig Dogger is another one. It's this gigantic um, eyeball-like creature, and you have to play a whistle. We're going to talk, or a recorder, I should say. We're going to get to the recorder later on. You blow that whistle, he becomes small, and then you can hit him. There's a giant crab with a huge eye. Got to get a bow and arrow, or you can't kill him either. Uh, you know, in, in The Legend of Zelda 2, there's a gigantic, um, like, knight on a horse, and you have to learn downward thrust. And then there's another one where you have to learn a spell to reflect their magic back at them. You have to do these things in the right order because if you don't, you literally cannot move past that point. And I got to tell you, I can't think of many other games that are kind of designed like this. Well, you know what? I just had a realization as we were talking about this. And, and I think it, it was this kind of balance of three. And I remembered our comment at the beginning that Princess Zelda is really the powerful sort of major force behind this in charge of the Triforce. Um, that often gets broken and has to be reformed. But I do think, to your point, Ben, I think Zelda is not only an amazing, like, magical, in you know, in charge of great power, but I think she's, like, a top-level bioengineer and physical engineer. And she is secretly fighting against Ganon using Link as her hmm. agent um, and providing Link with the tools needed as she knows deeply the biology of these evil creatures that perhaps Ganon has laid in Link's past. So it is really a battle of three. Well, th that also makes sense because as the quests go on, I think Zelda in some ways gets better at this because we've mentioned the Dodongos. In the original game, you had to have your bombs already in your inventory or you were out of luck and the Dodongo was going to kill you. But in later games in Ocarina of Time, where Zelda, I think, is kind of more prepared uh, for the battle ahead, she has bomb flowers ready for you to feed the Dodongo. And so you you don't have to, if you forget some bombs or you run out, you got the bomb flowers ready for you to take the Dodongo down. Well, it just shows you the connection between bombs and the world itself, the very the very land, it's growing flowers that are inspired and have the power of bombs. I mean, how much more connected to the land can you get? I've got one example that in The Legend of Zelda 2, uh, you fight a dark link, a version of yourself. I mean, there's no other, uh, you know, that is the ultimate 
um, connection to the world is that you have a shadow creature that you have to fight uh, in order to move on. Uh, It's a very interesting world. And it does speak to, you know, what we talked about where something there's there's a grand architect here who's putting all of this together um, because, you know, we're going to talk about the items in a second. um, But, you know, each thing requires a certain item. And I think that it's important to keep that in mind when you're looking at Lincoln, when you're looking at Hyrule, um, you know, again, Denon, you know, quickly, I want to get your thoughts on this. Do you still think it's the it's the connection to the land or is it that Link is so special um, that he all he needs is small augmentations to his abilities to defeat these creatures? You know, I really think it's this deep connection of Link to the land. And as as I think about this, this may be a radical idea, but I'm going to go with it. The land Hyrule itself is the battlefield, and Link is Princess Zelda's major weapon, but her other weapons are the bioengineering and the engineering of the world and the wildlife, which Ganon is counter-bioengineering, and Ganon is ultimately the the big boss that Link does have to fight for Zelda. But I think there's this fascinating underlying engineering aspect, both of the technology and the items and of the biology that makes this an underlying battle of wits of engineering design. And we just see the surface battle of Link with the weapons and items as Link finds them. So I'm getting even more excited about this game as we talk, Dan. I may actually really go back and have to finish it now. <laughs> well, I mean, I love that idea that that we're only seeing the surface of this battle underneath. Uh, and I think it starts with the items, right? And I, I think you're, you're exactly right, is when we look at the items, how have they, they been designed to help Link uh, survive? And, you know, the one, the, the uh, Majora's Mask is a game that is all about masks, and you put them on. Now, these aren't in every game. They are in some of the, some of the newer games. But this, I thought, was a really interesting component to the game because the masks, they, 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 you put them on, and they seem to be imbued with, I'm going to call it magic. Uh, you know, we all know magic doesn't exist. But I'm going to say it's it seems magical. Uh, Link turns into almost an avatar-like creature, able to channel the energy, the power of whatever image is on the mask. And it reminds me of the movie of the same name, The Mask, the famous Jim Carrey movie. Uh, also, uh, most people don't know this, Cameron Diaz's first movie, which is also, uh, <laughs> she looks very different in that movie than she did before. Uh, that's her first movie. But this is such a cool idea that you have this item that has a power that you can then, that's transferred to you. Um, I enjoyed this as part of Link's you know, new repertoire. Oh, I love the mask, and I love that it's actually a mask, Dan, because you put it on your head. And what is in your head? your brain, right? And so I think there is a clear neuro link here between the mask and you. It gives a direct element of control over the properties of the mask, but it also opens you up to feedback from the mask. It's a very interesting situation. Um, I always have to ask the question though with masks, when we're trying to solve this technology of where is the mask power source? Because masks are kind of small and this mask does give Link a lot of power. I think that's the key engineering design challenge. Um, you know, connecting with your mm. brain, we're understanding yeah. better and better. Finding those that energy revolution is something we've talked a lot about on this show. We really need an energy revolution if we're going to build these masks, which I am actually working on secretly. I just this is the first time I have a secret project. So please <laughs> wow. don't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think you raise an interesting point. I think it goes back to the engineering of this world and kind of Zelda being in in the in the shadows, kind of controlling everything. And the masks 
are one an avatar for you to change your your personality your 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 uh, appearance to hide with the other creatures in the world or whatever but also perhaps it's a channel for princess zelda's actual power it's more of a puppetry kind mm. of thing where she is able to push her influence her magic her energy out through the mask through you again where she you, link is being used as a tool with the mask as a channel of that tool. Well, I like that because, you know, when we look at some of these masks, they do have very specific powers. You know, there's a fairy mask where, you know, Link puts it on, and not only can he communicate with the fairies, but he can call one to him, and as we know, fairies uh, will increase his life power, uh, increases the the life, uh, the filling up the, the heart containers. Um, but also, there's one that enhances his sense of smell. There's, I think, rabbit ears let you run really quickly. It all, all of them seem to augment one ability at a time, which, you know, would, would I think it lends credence to what you're, both of you guys are saying with first Denon, that you don't want to overload the brain by enhancing too many things at one point. <laughs> and the th same thing with Zelda doesn't want to blow up her link if he is her ultimate tool to getting through this world. So I like that. And, and it also allows him the ability to augment what he wants when he wants to do it, because you don't want to end up like the Hulk and being gigantic and huge and having to smash everything with Without being able to control it and take off the Hulk mask and then turning back into, you know, Link without that string, that incredible strength. I love that analogy, Dan. It's always great to bring in the foam Hulk. Um, I think, yep. you know, <laughs> when right. we, you know, any episode we can work that in is amazing. And yep. I do like this idea of not overloading. Uh, it also makes it simpler with each mask. Um, the design structure and the engineering is much more straightforward. You only have to access one part of the brain. Um, so I really like where you went with that. But it's also important to, acknowledge the ultimate power of these masks the they're they're way more powerful than even the hulk you know in majora's mask we see when the the skull kid takes the mask it warps his mind you know he's somehow able to channel way more power than he probably should be able to and he's able to darken the lands and he's able to pull the moon into the clock tower of the town in the middle of termina and so there's this whole problem of you, these masks are realistically probably too powerful and maybe Zelda sometimes can't even control them if they're not through her uh, pure Link who is like part of the Triforce who can maybe control and channel that power safely. You know, it's really an important engineering point, Ben. Great safety tip. We all know from Doc Ock, if your neural link you know, breaks in the wrong way, yep. then the thing you're connected to starts controlling you instead of yep. the other way around. Yep. Um, so, you know, as as once again, we learned Spider-Man is sort of the source of all truth. So big engineering <laughs> tip there. Well, and I think you bring up a good point there. You know, when you're talking about these masks, in some ways, the power can corrupt you, that that energy can get a hold of you. You know, we see in the movie, The Mask, uh, it, when when um, I can't think of his name, Lipshit Stanley, uh, <laughs> I forget what his name, Stanley Stinko or something like that. Uh, when Jim Carrey's character puts on the mask and he becomes this all powerful man able to control cartoon physics. Uh, you know all about that, Denon. Uh, when he has that ability, you know, he, he is slightly corrupted. He is changed. He's fundamentally uh, altered in a way. And I think Link is as well, because, you know, I heard this, this great piece of advice once is that if you touch something, it touches you. And I think this goes beyond the physical actually touching it, but metaphorically, uh, mentally, emotionally, um, if you have this power, if you've touched greatness, greatness touches and may corrupt you. 
So, Dan, I think we may just have gotten, you know, we have Newton's third law. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Um, are we going to be calling this Dan's um, first law? Without uh, question. If you touch mm -hmm. something, it touches you back. Yeah. Even though I heard it from somebody else, I've now taken ownership of it and I've corrupted it um, just okay. by simply touching it. So it is mine, Denon, and use it uh, as you will. One of the other things that I want to mention here with the masks is that, you know, in the latest episode, there is this in the latest uh, Breath of the Wild is the latest uh, is that episode. It's a video game. It's an it's a installment in the series. Um, the latest installment in the series allows you to have masks that look like creatures in the world and you fit in with them and you talk to them. Now, this is a little different, but it reminds me of, you know, The Walking Dead. You know, we did a great fascinating fights on The Walking Dead and the ability of the people in that world to take a zombie and put the blood all over them and, and dress up like a zombie and then walk amongst them without being, you know, basically detected. Uh, this I thought was kind of interesting um, because it, again, is that connection to the land. When you look at a lot of tribal people, uh, when they would kill a gigantic creature, they would take the skin of that creature and put it on uh, and, you know, kind of channel the energy, um, you know, just by being close to the object that was that creature. Yeah, I think you're you're really making a nice connection here, Dan. Perhaps mm -hmm. even a nice link between these things. Yep. Um, but you you do have you do have these masks that I think this is one of the most straightforward uses of these masks as neural links, um, which can allow you to project kind of that field of being that creature, um, almost a psychic illusion or um, dare I say, fair gnomes come out of the 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 mask and. Um, make you even, you know, actually detected through your sense of smell as these creatures, as well as, you know, mimicking their motions and doing the general shapes. So I, I love that connection, blending in, being part of the land, the creatures that you're with, um, and, and you know, having to be able to navigate without wiping things out. That's the ultimate sort of environmentally uh, appropriate way to get past them. And I will say, you know, if, I, if I've if i coined that that phrase, you know, Dan's first law of touching, I guess maybe that's probably, that's probably a bad title. We should, we should rework that. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think you've discovered a new ascent particle, and that is the pheromone. Uh, it's very similar <laughs> to the pheromone, but I think this is a Denon original. Uh, this is this must be where scent exists at the quantum state, isn't that right? I, oh no, definitely. That's because everything in physics is a gnome or an on. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it just goes to show that Link is is both the ultimate tool when it comes to saving the world, but he's also the ultimate cosplayer. Yep. <laughs> he's. <laughs> You know, he he's able to put on this mask and it's probably not just a mask there. You know, there's probably like a whole duffel bag there of clothes and he's able to put on the, the clothes. And because he's so imbued with the land, because he's so connected with the land, because of this magical thing that Zelda's doing in the background, he's able to act and be any creature he needs to be and be a part of the land, which also means being a part of any creature in the land. Uh, that makes sense to me. I mean, I think he is one not only with the land, uh, as you mentioned, Ben, but also with the physics of the world. You know, one of the, the most powerful items in this game are, are ones that have a, a musical connection, right? And there's nothing that connects us more to the world than music, uh, I would say. And, you know, the first item up for bids here on The Price is Right. I don't know why I just said that. Uh, the first <laughs> item here is the recorder. 
And, you know, I'm sure you guys know what a recorder is. Dennett, you've got kids. Uh, I imagine you've heard the sound, maybe oh, not the w- warping theme, but you've heard the sound throughout the house. Yeah. Many, many times. And the sound does often warp things, Dan. Let's just, <laughs> it may yes. not warp as in Zelda, but it, it has a warping feature. Yeah. And I, I can see little Ben <laughs> running around with his recorder, uh, you know, trying to, you know, dry. I don't, I mentioned in dry up lakes like, like Link does in this game and try to warp around the house, but I can see you whistling a tune on the old recorder. Uh, and these are very powerful items. The, you know, the recorder allows you in the first Zelda to zip around from dungeon to dungeon. You need it to, you know, the the shrink the dig dongo. Um, I think. Oh no, wait, is it? Let me get the name right. The the dogger, the, dogger. the dig dogger. You got to shrink him with the, the sound. It affects him physically. It also dries up lakes. Um, you know, and and then there's the Ocarina of Time, which which is much more powerful. You know, different songs do different things. There's this strong connection between music the physics, harmony. And we all know music is just math math, and physics is math. So I don't know what I'm saying here, but I feel like then you can clean this up for me. Well, you know, I think it's really interesting how we often go to sound as controlling the world around us because it's a really, really cool idea. You know, some people think of it as changing the laws of physics, but I don't think that's quite right. You're not changing any laws. You're just using sound vibrations, which is a particular form of energy manipulation and coupling the sound to the other forms out there. So we even have fancy terms for this. We already mentioned how everything's an on in physics. Mm-hmm. Phonons are the core fundamental particles of sound. And phonons can interact with photons, which are the core fundamental particles of electricity and magnetism. So right there, there's a direct way to control other effects. Um, one could imagine phonons interacting with gravitons, which are the fundamental particles of space and time and gravity. Mm-hmm. So you have a way through physics if you could figure out how to get this coupling right and get the right amount of energy to have a lot of really cool effects just starting with sound. Hmm. Now, Dan, I, I, I want to say, I think this is a little easier than that. You know, obviously some of the things like time travel, you know, that's 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 a tricky thing. We got to be messing with gravitons with the phonons. But for a lot of this stuff, I think it just goes to show that Zelda is also an amazing engineer. You know, when it comes to things like moving the water in the water put temples or draining lakes or uh, having the dig dogger shrink, this is just sound keys. This is systems that are listening to the sounds and reacting to that like a, a password uh, to a bank account or something. You know, th- this is a system that's been engineered to react to someone who can play the ocarina or the recorder really well. Well, it makes me wonder, you know, when you say ocarina, I wonder, and I, I'm probably dating myself by saying this, uh, so I'm uh, you know, admitting that in advance, but can you play the Macarena on the ocarina? <laughs> I mean, you is know, it Dad, possible? I, th- the only problem is I think that blows up the world. I think, I think you want to, I think you want to, that causes a sudden self explosion. That's the self destruct button if you want to start over. Um, but I do really, really love where Ben went with this because when you think about it, it is the simpler, more elegant solution. And that often happens, you know, in physics, we give the big picture and engineers get right to the point and yep. solve that simple solution and then give us something else to work with at the next step. But I love the idea that this is a sound based engineered world. Right. That and, and it, it's no different than, you know, look, we're, we're going to the past with Zelda. Everybody hopefully is still somewhat familiar because they watched the remake of the Muppet movie of the sound that a modem makes. Right. Uh, the original modems when they made sound and you had to take your phone and stick it in a thing. Right. right. We know sound <laughs> are, are really interesting 
key codes and can be used to unlock and cause lots of mechanical things. Um, you know, our phones still kind of go beep, boop, bop, beep. You know, not always, but you know, it's really cool that the numbers are connected to a sound. So I love that engineering connection and maybe everything in this world really is just some sort of engineered sound device or bioengineered sound device. Well, I can tell you that I am absolutely relieved that you put down an older reference than the Macarena, which is plugging <laughs> your phone into a modem. So <laughs> if the Ocarina can travel back in time for us to get more jokes, I think, Denon, you and I, we, we might have a treasure trove on our hands here if we can get get a hold of one of these things. We, uh, we, we certainly would. <laughs> yeah, without question. Uh, so, I mean, it begs the question. we got to finish this off here, guys. You know, we've, we've talked about a lot. There's a lot going on in The Legend of Zelda. Um, you know, I, I want to know, what do you guys think? Think. Do you think that this is a world that was meticulously set up by Zelda or some other uh, some other deity-like creature in order for Link to achieve his full potential? Or is Link just the perfect tool for this world? You know, is life imitating art, art, art imitating life? Uh, is Link imitating any of this? Uh, Denon, I'm curious what you think. Well, you know, Dan, I just have a whole new appreciation for this world. And I really think it's it's an actively, it's a world that's being actively designed um, as a massive engineering chess game between Princess Zelda and Ganon. And I think we all missed it for years. Like, why is Link called Link? Like, mm -hmm. that is just an odd name. Mm -hmm. Link is Zelda's link to running the world that she creates. She, uh, he yep. is her engineering remote control. And so, I mean, it would have been a little weird to call him remote control. That would have been a strange name. Yeah. Um, not, you know, <laughs> even stranger than Link, which is already a strange name. <laughs> right. so, so I see this as a, a, a massively ongoing engineered world. Um, and Link is the tool in the world that Princess Zelda is using to make this all happen. That, that's, my, that's my final bid. Hmm. Okay. What about you, Ben? Yeah. I got to agree with that. It's clearly an engineered world. There's a there's some power operating behind it. And there's a reason the game is called Zelda and not Link. Uh, it's because Zelda's the one in charge. She's the engineer. She's running it all behind the scenes. And Link is just, you know, we're just playing the 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 useful tool for Zelda's machinations. Yeah, I, I, you know, I like what you guys are saying. The one thing that is a little weird, and I don't know if this throws a monkey wrench in, into the works, but, you know, he's always a little kid in this series, you know, over and over and over, and he's always getting the same items over and over again, and they keep getting reset. You know, given how many times he has to save the world, is that what's going on here? I mean, is Zelda just creating problems for him to solve? Um, and, and does he even really exist? Is it like the Truman Show except the video game world where he's just being reset Groundhog Day style over and over again with just increasingly difficult challenges? I mean, is she torturing him into perpetuity is what I'm saying? And is this not, you know, the, the uh, machinations is the right word here. Is, is, she, is she the puppet master controlling Link uh, in what is essentially hell and high rule? Uh, because, you know, he's always fighting again and he's always he dies a million times as you're playing the game i don't know what's going on here i think it's some combination of uh what we're saying here uh i, I don't know but but i think Dan, it's a Dan, i will just have to throw in a quick sure. counterpoint I, sure. I i i totally see where you're going it's very consistent 
um, with your view of apocalypses or apocalypse. Um, I, 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 my we, world we just have to be honest. consistent with my worldview. Yes, you're right. <laughs> you know, we just have to be honest. I'm slightly more the optimist. Yep. You're slightly more the pessimist. Sure. And, you know, I think it is a flip of a coin here, whether it's a torture chamber for Link or an awesome battle going on where Link is the main hero. Um, for Zelda, I mean, Zelda's main hero, her main tool, her main link. Yeah. I'm going to stick with my optimistic view that this is all positive and not evil machinations. But I have to admit, when playing it, I feel a little bit like I'm caught in lava hell. So I do have some sympathy for your view in this case. Yeah, and I will say, you know, people like me, we like to be called realists, not pessimists. Oh, realists. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. the preferred <laughs> nomenclature, if you don't mind. I don't mind. I can okay. go with realist Dan. Okay. I think the reality is we see a little bit behind the scenes in Majora's Mask where Link is the one setting the clock back, not Zelda in that case. And so clearly that power exists in the world where she is able to con consistently reset the world and make him go through multiple trials. So obviously she has that power. And so clearly this is all Zelda's machinations. I, I don't see any other way around it. <laughs> Well, you know, I think we've, we've nailed a lot of things here, but there's some things we didn't quite get to, and this is the place for them, our errors, additions, and omissions section. Denon, is there anything about The Legend of Zelda that we didn't cover that you wanted to talk about? Well, first of all, I do love the fact, uh, I'm with my daughter in this, I love the fact that you often get a horse and can ride a horse, and she, as much as she loves Breath of the Wild, I agree with her comment, why a motorcycle? Like, when you can ride a horse, why does the, the Sheikah Slate give you a motorcycle and not, like, a supercharged horse or something? Right. Um, so, horses, really cool. I like that. Um, I also find it, uh, uh, you know, a bit in the torture theme. Again, as I struggle trying with Twilight Princess, um, the fact that I can drop bombs on myself and blow myself up, um, very frustrating. Um I do, I'm tempted to play and just skip to Breath of the Wild because apparently you can put your bombs on timers um, and it's less, less easy, um, harder, sorry. It is <laughs> harder go. to blow yeah, yourself yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's both we'll, less we'll easy and harder. <laughs> yeah, less easy and harder. Mm -hmm. So I do like, you know, making it harder to blow myself up. That That is a, a good thing. Um, but I, you know, I just, I do find it a very, very fun game. Um, and I, I love watching a single thing like this and just, you know, thinking about how when that first one came out, Dan, and you made us watch the commercials. Um, <laughs> made you watch? But, am I well, Zelda now? Suggested. The machinations? Suggested. Am I Machiavellian? We got to watch. We got to watch. <laughs> we got to watch the commercials. <laughs> I love the idea that that was such cutting edge video game technology. <laughs> yeah. And you compare that with Breath of the Wild. Like, the way our expectations have changed over time with video yeah. games yeah. is another thing. So this is my longest errors and additions. There was just a lot there. Um, and yeah. I already said it in Solving the World, but I just have a new appreciation of the name Link. So I'm really glad we did this show. Yeah, I will tell you that really quickly. I loved. I was watching all the Zelda games and to watch the original Legend of Zelda and then the beautiful three-dimensional world that exists and both it, with with um, different focus, you know, from the right. distance. Of the, uh, it's night and day. It's a totally different world. Um, but that's that's for another day. What about you, Ben? Is there anything about Zelda that we didn't talk about that you wanted to get to? Yeah, well, just that commercial again. I love the part where they're like, wow, look at those graphics. And it's like, oh, boy. <laughs> uh, but also yeah. what I really like, which we didn't get, which we didn't really cover so much, is the using the enemy's powers against them aspect of mm -hmm. Zelda 2. You know, there's the mirror shield in the older game. 
uh, where you that used to fight Carrick, and then Twin Rova in Ocarina of Time. I love this idea that, again, it's a part of this engineering, that Zelda has engineered this mirror shield for you to turn the enemy's powers back on t- onto them, and it's it's just it seems like just more evidence once again that these this is all engineered for Link and by Zelda to you know her machinations to get what she needs done. Uh, it's very true. You know, I'm not going to disagree with, with any of that. Um, a couple things just really quickly that, that I wanted to talk about. Um, the bombs, the, the prevalence of bombs in all of the world is strange. I mean, it's like Texas. It's like everyone has a gun in Texas. In this world, everyone has a bomb. You kill some enemies and there's so many bomb drops. Uh, you know, going back to the commercials. So I really want you guys to watch them if you're watching this at home. Uh, the Zelda rap, you know, Super Mario Brothers had a rap. Zelda, you know, has a rap. I wish I could do it for you now. I don't have it memorized. Memorized. It's, you know, talk about life achievements. Uh, I'm going to get that memorized for you. That's my commitment to excellence. And also uh, for, for another episode I did on fascinating nouns on video games, I had, you know, I did the whole second quest of Zelda and I battled Ganon. Uh, and this is my first attempts to record video game footage. So uh, I have, a, I'm going to put a link to that on the website. Uh, you you got to check it out. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. But, you know, you can, if there's anything well, else Dan, you want. I have one other error. Oh, what? Okay. I had, I have an error that's also an addition. Okay. I forgot to take a drink during the show, and so I'm feeling very oh, thirsty. Look at that. Well, I think that that is, that is great. Uh, I'm a little cold, and I don't quite have a magical shield, but what I do have is a brilliant emoji-filled T-shirt. Uh, you know, these are things that you can find on our merch store, but I'm guessing, Ben, you have something before I, I mention that. Well, yeah. You know, Link, of course, he is a tool of Zelda, but he still needs to hydrate, and, you know, if I would suggest you use the Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-based technology uh, water bottle to keep hydrated out there in the land of Hyrule. I, I think that that's brilliant. And you can find all that stuff at ftriplegbt.com slash merch. Uh, I was corrected by by one of our viewers that it is not backslash, it is forward slash. My apologies. Uh, I'm not going to go back and re-edit that, so hopefully everyone will not take offense in the future. ftriplegbt.com slash merch. Um, but again, if there's anything else, if there's a correction like that, you see something that we're doing that you want to correct, you can get in touch with us. It's very easy. You can find us, the show on social media. We're on Twitter at FGGGBTPod. We're on Facebook at FGGGBT. But you can get in touch with us individually. Dennett, where can people find you? Well, they can find me on Instagram and Twitter. Just flip my name. It's at Den and Michael. Um, you can also find me on Facebook, but you have to know how to spell prof because it's at prof Den and Michael. Ben, where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? Spell that B S I E P S E R. And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind, and on Twitter and on Instagram. That's the other one at the Daniel J. Glenn. And if you're listening on your favorite podcast channel, uh, make sure you rate and review and check that you're subscribed. And if you're watching us on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode and you help us out with that algorithm. And finally, this show contains powerful scientific information that can be misused by those hell-bent on world domination, like Zelda in Hyrule. So remember, you want to use this power for good and not for evil. Remember, always be a superhero. You don't want to be a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening.
Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, ftriplegbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there ftriplegbt.com. And before you leave, don't forget to check out our other episodes. You can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got, and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio-only version, depending on what you like. We got it for you, and if you do like those videos, you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well. We're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And once again, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to danieljglenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.